Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. It's a transformation of America to become more of a socialist, European-type country. How are we going to help get the remaining Americans out? What's your plan? The middle class is going to be paying more. There's homelessness. At the pump. Crime rising. At the grocery store. We're heading in the wrong direction. Wrong direction. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. It is News and Views and uh, a lot to talk about today. Wow, this Biden administration, it's uh, interesting. That's the understatement of the decade. Uh, first off, Carolina Journal is reporting, along with another a lot of media outlets in the eastern part of the state, The General Assembly, now they kicked off their month-long series of 13 redistricting hearings last week. That first hearing took place in Caldwell County. Today, in fact, it started about six minutes ago at 5 o'clock, there are meetings. uh, There was a meeting in Forsyth County. uh, That started at 4 o'clock. But in Elizabeth City, in Pasquotank County, uh, there is a meeting just got underway at 5 o'clock at Elizabeth State University. The hearing will be at the K.E. White Center uh, at the University, 1704 Weeksville Road. Again, if you want to have some input in the redistricting, if you don't like how it's uh, handled right now, then you need to scoot on over to uh, Elizabeth State, Elizabeth City State University. And uh, again, you can you can slide right in there. Depending on the crowd size, I, d- I don't know if you'll be able to speak or not, but uh, if it's not too crowded, I imagine you, you would have some time at the podium. You do have to sign up when you enter the meeting, though. The uh, new report from the Washington Post concerning a new book that is uh, written by Bob Woodward and Robert Costa, this new book states that uh, Mark Milley, Well, if this book is correct, if this book is correct, we might want to consider him treasonous. We might want to consider trying this guy for treason. This is the the general, Mark Millian, the guy with the eyebrows. Um, He reassured China's People's Liberation Army General, Lai Chen that he would give the communist country a heads-up if President Donald Trump launched an attack in the final months of his presidency. He did so in a series of reported phone calls and reassured Lai that he would stand between Trump and an attack on China's assets. This according to this new book, General Lai, I want to assure you that the American government is stable and everything is going to be okay. He told him we're not going to attack or conduct any kind of moving operations against you. In the book's account, Milley went so far as to pledge that he would alert his counterpart in the event of a U.S. attack, stressing they'd estab- uh, stressing the rapport they had established through a back channel. General Lai, if you and I have known each other now for five years, if we're going to attack, I'm going to call you ahead of time. It's not going to be a surprise. Uh, now, I, I realize we are not at war with China. But your allegiance is to communist China over the commander-in-chief? Wow. Uh, Who is going to be the first in Congress to speak up about this? 
And listen, um, November of 2022 is not that far away. There's a story here in my pile of stories about Doug Schoen, who was an advisor to President Clinton. He's, he's a long-time Democrat pundit and uh, advisor to a number of different people. He has uh, come out and said that it does not look good for the Democrats for 2020. What's interesting about this, and, and you could say to yourself, okay, well, look, that's a long way away. And in a sense, it is a long way away, a year from this November. And, you know, people say, well, that's, you know, eons of time when it comes to uh, political life. But what's interesting is he did a a comparison. And I bring this up because if Millie is still around when Republicans take over in the House and the Senate, it's going to look a whole lot different. Millie might want to... uh, check himself. Um, The margin in Congress is razor thin now. Democrats hold an eight-seat edge. In the Senate, it's a 50-50 tie. Kamala Harris breaking the ties. Doug Schoen, a political consultant, said the marked decline in support for Biden and his administration nationally and in key swing states indicates that the Democratic Party could endure a blowout defeat in the 2022 midterm elections. Moreover, Biden is in a significantly weaker position now than both of his most recent Democrat predecessors, Clinton and Obama. At this point in their presidencies, which suggests that Democrats could suffer even more substantial losses in 2022 than the party did in 94 and 2010. Biden has been hit hard by a series of events. Afghanistan melted down as the U.S. withdrew troops, leading to the death of 13 American service members. Americans are souring on the president with new polls, having him uh, less than 40 percent approval. A recent Economist YouGov poll found that Biden's approval ratings on his handling of major issues have fallen dramatically in some cases. For the first time, a greater share of Americans disapprove of Biden's handling of the coronavirus pandemic than approve. Uh, But here's the interesting thing. If you reference Obama's first term at the same time in the first term, so September uh, of his first year, Obama's net approval rating was 19 points higher than Biden's is right now. And yet, to put it in Obama's words, that next November, he got a shellacking. In the midterms, 2010 midterms, Democrats lost a net of 64 House seats. Republicans gained six seats in the Senate. Back in 93, Clinton's approval uh, rating was recorded at 47% and 42% disapproval. uh, In other words, he was 13 points higher than Biden is right now at the same time of his presidency. Yet in the 94 midterms, Democrats lost a net of 52 House seats and Republican picks, picked up eight Senate seats. Biden is in worse shape than they are. Now, granted, we, are, we probably the Democrats probably didn't cheat as effectively then as they do now. So we'll, we'll grant that. But I bring that up because, uh, OK, Millie's not going to be tried for treason right now. 
because the Democrats are in charge and very few in the Democratic Party care about such matters as treason. They don't. But there, uh, November 2022 is not that far away. And whether Milley is still in his current position then or not, I hope, listen, I, I, boy, I, I say this over and over and over again. Would Republicans please remember what the Democrats are doing? When we get the House and the Senate, please do not forget, ah, let bygones be bygones. That happened, gee, that happened a year ago. It was treason. It's treasonous. Now, okay, I, there's a big if there. If this is correct. Uh, today, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin refused to appear and testify before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee about the disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan, prompting Robert Menendez, the Democrat senator from New Jersey, to blast him for his non-appearance. Menendez, oh, and there, he's not the only Democrat out there that um, thinks that uh, this administration has been lying to them. Menendez apparently thinks that the administration lied when they said, gee, we thought that the Afghan, you know, the military, then we thought they were great. You know, 300,000, gee, they were great. Menendez feels like they're lying to him. Lloyd Arson just said, I mean, this guy is a cabinet. He's the secretary of defense. And he tells the Senate, no, I ain't showing up. Uh, Again, this is what anarchy begins to look like when you don't follow the rule of law, when you, when you shoot the bird at those in authority and say, no, I'm not going to do it. And listen, this is, this is a committee that is run with a Democrat chair, and he still doesn't want to come. I mean, it must, be, it must look really bad. The truth must really look bad. For him not to come. But, you know, I was, I was thinking, is this the first time that someone of this stature within an administration, within an administration, refused to show up? But then I thought, didn't the Hildebeest do this when she was Secretary of State? Didn't she try to pull the same stunt? That, that she can't come? Wasn't that about the time she fell in the bathroom and smacked her head? And Anyway. But Lloyd Austin, nah, nah, I don't. I don't have to answer to you. Who are you? Speaking of corrupt elections, this is cut for Clark. One California voter went to vote this morning. Her name is Estelle Bender. She told KTLA TV. She went to vote and uh, they said, no, can't vote. I went to... El Camino High School to vote, got there at 10.30, gave her this, and she scanned it and said, you voted. And I said, no, I haven't. And she said, this has been happening all morning. The man next to me was arguing the same thing. So as I left, I did the provisional ballot, and left. I'm just really angry, and I saw two women walking toward me as I left, and I said, don't be surprised if they tell you you've already voted. And she said, they've already done that. If I voted, how did I vote? And who did you vote for? Well, I asked the couple that 
the young women that I talked to, and I said, are you by any chance Republicans? She said, yes. And I said, well, so am I. And so are the two friends that had the problem at VFW. Oh, I'm sure it was just coincidental that you were Republican. I mean, let's... We don't want to call anything conspiracy here. We don't. We don't want to accuse the Democrats of cheating. I mean, it's probably just a coincidence. I mean, right? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um. Yeah, doesn't stop, does it? They they get upset when when Republicans get so frustrated that they show their anger. And look, whether you um. I mean, I think the Democrats have overplayed their hand on what happened on January the 6th. But if if those people who were Trump supporters that uh, went into the Capitol, and and I'm I'm not condoning it, but it was frustration up one side and down the other. By the way, did you see yesterday when the president was out campaigning for Newsom, his motorcade went over, I think it was at Long Beach University. Now, here it is up on the screen if you're watching. And uh, be careful. Be, care- <laughs> be careful with the audio. We don't want to lose our license. Although, we are exempt because this is a newscast. But all those people out there, I mean, the hundreds of people, and the chant was the same chant that the, uh, we're giving at these football games this, the last two weeks, F. Biden. Wow. That's a lot of people for a guy that got a tremendous amount of votes. <laughs> he had a tremendous amount of people that were shooting him the bird. Five six one eight two five five. Let's go down to Surf City. Larry's on the line. Hey, Larry, how are you, sir? Hey, Tom, how you doing, sir? Thank I'm doing well. Take my call. You bet. Uh, I was. I'm. I'm a veteran, and I well, got out you. in 1980. Like, I got out in 1980, and even though I was an enlisted man. If I had any type of security clearance, whether it was standing guard, fire watch, or an actual station, and I was to look across the line and tell my opponent over there, hey, if I hear anything, I'll let you know. You'd never hear from me again. I'd be buried underneath Leavenworth in a pile of ashes, but this is just going to be blown by. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, as I said, it's going to be blown by right now. Uh, I hope. Oh, sure. I, I hope there are people up in D.C. that are keeping uh, journals and notes, uh, you know, to the to the nth degree uh, that when we take over the House and the Senate, uh, that they can call these people up and said, hey, let's let's review what you did under President Trump, the commander in chief, when you usurped him, when you when when you decided you were more important than the than the elected president of the United States, I mean, this is a big deal. This isn't nothing. This is a huge deal. And uh, I had somebody that tweeted me earlier today and said he ought to be shot. And I said we ought to be at least at least be tried for treason. The last nine months, my hair is curled up to tight little rings because there's so much information being slammed to my head he, he's gonna lose it i mean they're, they're gonna he's gonna mess up and he's gonna do something and everybody's gonna push that 25th fifth amendment in there i i believe they got it all planned i mean I, I know it's conspiracy theory but i believe they're gonna try to drive him crazy 
and then guess guess who we get? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And she, I got some stories I could tell you, but you don't have the time to listen to me. Well, she she is uh, worse than he is, and of course, you get rid of her, oh then you God. get Nancy Pelosi. So maybe if we can, uh-huh. maybe if we can get him to hang in there until uh, November of next year, at least the third in line would would probably be uh, Kevin McCarthy. Probably. Yeah. Hey, uh, thank you well, for the call, Larry, and thank you so much for your service. Do appreciate it. By the way, Joe Biden was uh, on um, last, uh, was it, uh, well, um, September 11th, which is what, was last Saturday, right? Um, 9-11. He was up in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. And uh, poor Joe, he, you know, he can't help himself. But he decided that uh, he would get together with a group of young ladies, little girls, which, by the way, they were all wearing Trump hats, MAGA hats, Make America Great Again hats. Come on, man! And Joe goes over and takes his picture with these girls, and sure enough, sure enough, the pedophile, he's, he's got his hands around the waist of this 12-year-old little girl. I, I mean, with all the, all the bad publicity on the guy, and you know, with, with this kind of issue, you'd think he could keep his hands to himself. I mean, put it on, and you know, okay, I understand you put her on, on her, but around her waist, I'm sorry, totally creepy, creepy Joe. Hey, we got to take a time out. Stay with us. Love to get your phone calls as well. 561-8255. Got some great audio for you this hour. We'll be right back. Then. No, I don't think it should be mandatory require their workforces are fully vaccinated now i don't think you'll ever see a mandating of a vaccine then there should be more mandates now we cannot require someone to be vaccinated then requiring vaccinations i think is very important now pandemic politics are making people when they say it sick you'll hear about it with tom and benny on news and views yeah then and now <laughs> the thing is interesting about it it's it's not like it's 10 years apart i mean in some cases it's like two weeks apart take a look at your weather forecast tonight increasingly clouds uh a low around 70 tomorrow a chance really the, here's the weather for the next three days wednesday thursday into friday uh 30 chance of afternoon showers with a high in the upper 80s and a 30% chance of overnight showers with a low around 70. There you've got it. Weather brought to you by our friends at the Ironwood Golf and Country Club. Voted best golf course in Greenville two years in a row. Ironwood Golf and Country Club boasts an 18-hole Lee Trevino design course, full-service dining, outdoor pool, tennis, and more. Our newly renovated 15,000-square-foot clubhouse is the perfect place to make new traditions with your family. For a limited time, join Ironwood, pay zero initiation fees, Give them a call, 252-752-4653. Find out what makes Ironwood the best of Greenville, 252-752-4653. Be a part of the best Ironwood Golf and Country Club. And by the way, when you join Ironwood, you have membership rights to three other gorgeous golf courses in eastern North Carolina. Again, their number, give them a call. Find out more details, 752-4653. So Senator James Reich from Idaho brought up a story that we mentioned in passing yesterday. Secretary of State Antony Blinken was at that hearing getting grilled on Afghanistan, but 
James Reich brought up another story, and that is, who is it in the White House that is pulling the strings of puppet Joe Biden? Because it's pretty obvious, as we mentioned yesterday, he was up in uh, Idaho talking about fire prevention, land management, and he goes off script. So somebody is watching everything that he says, and when he goes off script, and this is not the first time this has happened, when he goes off script, somebody at the White House pulled the plug on the video that was streaming over the WhiteHouse.gov website. Here's the give and take between James Reich and Anthony Blinken. Somebody in the White House has authority to press the button and stop the president, cut off the president's uh, uh, speaking ability and sound. Who is that person? I think anyone who knows the president, uh, including members of this uh, committee, knows that uh, he speaks very clearly and very uh, deliberately uh, for himself. Uh, no one else does. Well, are you, are you saying that there is no one in the White House that can cut him off? Because yesterday that happened, and it's happened a number of times before that. It's been widely reported that somebody has the ability to push the button and, and cut off his sound and stop him from speaking. Who is that person? There is, there is no such person. Again, uh, the president uh, speaks for himself, uh, makes all of the strategic decisions, uh, informed by the best advice that he can get from the uh, the people around him. So are you unaware that this is actually happening? Because it happened yesterday at the uh, interagency fire center. Uh, it was widely reported. The media's reported on it. And it's not the first time it's happened. It's happened several times. Are you telling this? Are you telling this committee that this does not happen, that there's no one in the White House who pushes the button and, <laughs> and cuts him off in mid-sentence? That's correct. So this didn't happen yesterday, nor on the other occasions where the media showed the American people that his sentence was cut off in mid-sentence. Yeah. Are you saying that didn't happen? Senator, I'm, I really don't know what you're, uh, what you're referring to. All I can tell you is, uh, having uh, worked with the president uh, for now uh, 20 years, both here uh, on this committee uh, and uh, in, uh, over the last nine months at the White House, the president very much speaks for himself. I don't know what you're talking about. I have no idea. I have no clue. Everybody else in the United States knows about it, but Anthony Blinken. Inconceivable. Now, he, now uh, Senator Reich, good for you, Senator. You should have pulled a Rand Paul, though, and you should have said, uh, do you realize this is a criminal act to lie to, to Congress? Because I guarantee you he knows he knew exactly what the senator was talking about. And he knew the answer to the question. Played dumb. Uh, I do not recall. Right out of the the Hilda Beast playbook, I do not recall. I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, my. Look, this is a big deal. Because the president is not calling the shots. Now, we all know that. But it is, this makes it very, very evident and uh, I thought it was very insightful for Senator Rice to actually confront Blinken on this and to put him on record, because this is a big deal. We, we do not know. We've got some suspicions who the puppet master is, but we don't know for sure. But we, it's, it's pretty obvious it's happening. He's got a script. He's got a teleprompter. 
And as soon as he goes off script, they're saying, oh, no, we have no clue what's coming next. Let's pull the plug. And, you know, okay, we can laugh at it, that he's seen now, whatnot. But it's obvious that he is not calling the shots. He's the non-president. 561-8255. Let's get on to Jacksonville. We have Wayne on the line. Hey, Wayne. Yeah, hi. I wanted to uh, circle back to the California election. Yeah. We better really hope that Larry Elder wins, because if he doesn't, all the liberals out there are going to scream white supremacy. And I don't want to hear that again. How are they going to scream that? Oh, that's right. Larry Elder is the black face of white supremacy. I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> well, no. Gary Newsom's a white guy, as far as I know. And if he wins, they're going to say, well, the black guy didn't win. It's white supremacy again. Oh, oh you're, you're playing the reverse of it. If he doesn't win. Yes. No. Oh. Yes. If he no, that, but win, they, they don't, they don't do that to liberals, though, uh, Wayne. They don't do that to liberals. They only do it to conservatives. Uh, yeah, I know. I, 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 I know. <laughs> but can you just see the logic there? Uh, I can see the hypocrisy there. Absolutely. Well, that, yeah. Well, yeah. the whole thing's the whole thing's shrouded in hypocrisy. The whole Democratic Party's been proved for years, but uh, it just never comes to light. Just another thing that kind of bothered me. I want to hear somebody scream white supremacy if Gavin, Gavin Newsom wins and Larry Elder doesn't. Yeah, yeah, and that will be fun to watch because uh, <laughs> that, that'll be a bridge too far when you call a. Uh, uh, a, a, a black man who is a conservative, a white supremacist, which they've already done. They've already called him the no, the black face Gavin of Newsom white supremacy. Gavin Newsom would be the white supremacist because he's the real white guy. I'm going by race alone, not by <laughs> politics. <laughs> you got to have so. a program to keep track of the white supremacist. Hey, Wayne, thanks for the call. Uh, Town Hall is reporting that uh, there is, and we've, we've talked about this guy, uh, Representative Chip Roy from Texas, solid conservative. Um, boy, he put out a tweet on the, uh, I'm sorry, well, it was a uh, uh, <laughs> social media message that uh, showed up on Twitter. I guess it was Facebook and all kinds of social media. So it showed up on Twitter. But it was a, uh, uh, he just railed against this unconstitutional mandate. We talked about this yesterday. You know, and again, I, you know, Biden might be able to try conjure up an argument that he has got the right as the uh, head of the executive branch to tell federal workers that they've got to get the shot, they've got to get the vaccination. But when he comes in and says of private businesses that you have to either get the shot or be tested once a week, this is this is way beyond his authority. And uh, I, I don't even know that Congress could able to do this, but the president alone, there's no way he can do this. There's no way they can tell OSHA and the CDC to mandate it. I mean, look, the CDC's already been told by the Supreme Court, that, you know, this eviction moratorium, no, you can't go there. Uh, this is well beyond their authority. But this is what Representative Chip Roy had to say about the mandates. I don't need the Article Three Judiciary Branch to tell me yay or nay on that question. The fact of the matter is the president of the United States does not have this power. And I am saying to all of my constituents, to the governor of Texas, do not follow this executive order. Do not fear the power of the federal government. Stand up along your neighbors, your communities, your friends and say no. If you're in a small business in Texas or anywhere else in this country, don't believe you have to listen 
to an unconstitutional, unlawful order from the president of the United States. You do not. And governors and states stand up and say no. There is no basis in law for this, and we're not going to follow it. I, for one, am never going to tell any of you or tell anybody else whether I've had this vaccine or not. It's none of your damn business. This isn't going to happen. I'm not going to listen to the president of the United States violate the Constitution to then interfere with my family and my loved ones. My 12-year-old son is my call, Mr. Cohen. We will make that decision, my wife and I. No one else and certainly no one in Washington, D.C. We will work together in the people of our community. We will follow the structure of the government that we've fought for over 250 years to ensure that no one individual has the power to step over liberty. That is what is at stake here today. Uh, this is what I have been harping on for a long time, and I love to hear uh, Representative Roy Chip say this. The, the, Biden has no authority. This is an unconstitutional mandate. He has no authority to order private businesses that tell the people to go get vaccinated or be tested once a week. And he is saying what I have said, just ignore it. Just say no. He has he, Biden, I mean, I have no more authority and Joe Biden has no more authority than me to, if I gave this order, just don't follow it. And that you're doing all these lawsuits. Look, these, these major corporations, they, they ought to just come out and say no and force the Biden administration to take them to court because they'd lose. The Biden administration would lose. I mean, right now you hear about all these corporations and states, attorney generals, taking the Biden administration to court. And I'm not an attorney. I mean, there might be some great wisdom in what they're doing. I don't know. But the idea that we should somehow cower to an illegal, unconstitutional mandate, I agree with Chip. Just say no. We're not going to do it. Ignore it. It needs to be ignored. It is an unlawful mandate. We've got to take another time out. Interesting news from the Atlantic concerning COVID. We've suspected for some time that many of these COVID cases that people are hospitalized for are really for something else. We've got the numbers now. We'll talk about that when we get back. Their workforces are fully vaccinated. Democrats call it. The right decision was necessary. It's not about freedom. Republicans call it. It's exactly about freedom. This unlawful man. Condescending to Americans. What happens next happens here with Tom and Benny on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. We're talking about uh, President Biden's approval ratings. There is a new Quinnipiac poll that just came out this afternoon and uh, more bad news for uh, cousin Eddie. 
facing a barrage of bipartisan criticism for a month over his handling of the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan and with the ongoing surge of COVID cases due to the spread across the country this summer of the highly infectious Delta variant, the president's approval rating stands at 42 percent, disapproval at 50 percent in this Quinnipiac University survey. Now, that's not the lowest it's gone. One of the surveys had it down to 39 percent. But to compare it, that's a significant drop. The Quinnipiac previous national survey in early August, when the president stood at 46 approval, 43 disapproval. So now it's 42 approval, 50 percent disapproval. So he's uh, going in the wrong direction significantly. Speaking of COVID, though, the Atlantic David Zwig came out with a very interesting story today. Researchers analyze the electronic records for nearly 50,000 COVID hospital admissions for more than 100 VA hospitals across the country. Now, we have been told over and over again, I mean, this story goes all the way back to 2020, early 2020, when the number of COVID cases, we, we questioned even back then that some of the people that it, on their um, death certificate, it was listed as covid and other people said, you know, relatives would come out and say, wait a minute, that person didn't die of COVID. That person, you know, was in stage four lung cancer. And uh, what, what a lot of people are coming out and saying is, okay, if you died and you had COVID in your system, even though you didn't die of COVID, they're going to list the cause as COVID. Well, this now your suspicions are confirmed. So they checked nearly 50,000 COVID hospital uh, uh, admissions, 100 VA hospitals. They checked to see whether each patient required supplemental oxygen or had blood oxygen, a oxygen level below 94%. Uh, that criteria is based on the National Institute of Health's definition of severe COVID, below 94%. If either of these conditions was met, the authors classified the patient as having moderate to severe disease, COVID. Otherwise, the case was considered mild or asymptomatic. The study found that from March 2020 through early January 2021, before vaccination was widespread and before the Delta variant had arrived, the proportion of patients with mild or asymptomatic disease was 36%. From mid-January to the end of June, however, that number rose to 48%. In other words, the studies suggest that roughly half of all hospitalized patients showing up on COVID data dashboards in 2021 were probably admitted for another reason entirely and only had a mild case in their system of COVID. But... I mean, follow the dollars, follow the numbers. It's all about science and data, right? All we ever hear about is, oh, the numbers are high. The numbers are high. Uh, Town Hall is also reporting Israeli health minister, and this isn't here, this is over in Israel, but you know what? (laughs) Uh, It gives you some good insight into what's going on in these governments. Israeli health minister Netzen Horowitz was caught on a hot mic disclosing the real reason for imposing their Green Pass, a COVID-19 vaccine passport for certain venues. 
ahead of a weekly cabinet meeting, Horowitz turned to Interior Minister Shakad, uh, Shaked, uh, I guess is how you pronounce it, noting there was no medical justification for the COVID passport. It is only intended to pressure the unvaccinated to get vaccinated. Uh, this guy was unaware that uh, Channel 12 News was recording everything he said. <laughs> So is it medically necessary? No, we just want them to feel the pressure. We want to force them. We want to blackmail them into getting vaccinated. A federal judge today granted an emergency injunction blocking the state of New York from enforcing their state COVID vaccine mandate. Now, this was Cuomo's idea. And we talked about yesterday how the teachers up in New York were rallying. And I saw pictures today of the rally. There was hundreds, if not thousands, of people there. And uh, there was a lawsuit. They talked about filing lawsuits. Well, now a federal judge has said no to Governor Andrew Cuomo's announced August 16th um, mandate on vaccines, which would, I think, take place September the 24th or the 27th. But anyway, it was coming up soon. And uh, anyway, Judge David Hurd of the U.S. District Court for Northern District of New York, who is a Bill Clinton appointee, granted a temporary restraining order. And uh, so we'll see where it goes. It's a temporary restraining order, but this case will be heard in the meantime Uh, No mandate in New York. So uh, teachers and parents who were booted out of city schools in New York City, uh, I guess they're going to be able to go ahead and get in and see their kids, take care of their kids, pick up their kids. The teachers can teach. Earlier today, Ted Cruz was going through a, a hearing in which he was interviewing going through the grilling process of a nominee for a judgeship. In July of 2018, Yale Law students, alumni, and educators ashamed of our alma mater signed an open letter criticizing the university for publishing a press release that quoted faculty praising Yale alumnus Brett Kavanaugh, who had been nominated to the Supreme Court by Trump. So there's this open letter from graduates to the faculty, the the hierarchy of Yale Law School, they were upset because they had said good things about Brett Kavanaugh. The letter said Kavanaugh is an intellectually and morally bankrupt ideologue intent on rolling back our rights and the rights of our clients, end quote. One of those alumni signing the open letter was Jennifer Snug, a 2004 graduate of Yale Law School who had been nominated by Biden administration to be a circuit judge for the United States Court of Appeals on Tuesday. Today, she came before the Senate Judiciary Committee and Senator Ted Cruz had a chance to ask her specifically about this. Ms. Sung, do you believe Justice Kavanaugh is intellectually and morally bankrupt? Senator, I would want every Supreme Court justice to know, including Justice Kavanaugh, that I respect completely their authority as a Supreme Court justice. I never would follow their precedents without reservation. You're you're an experienced lawyer. You know when someone's not answering a question. My question was simple and straightforward. 
do you believe Justice Kavanaugh is, quote, intellectually and morally bankrupt? Thank you for the question, Senator. As I stated earlier, I recognize that that statement was overheated rhetoric, and that's all that it was. I'm going to try one more time because you signed your name to it and it wasn't year, decades ago. It was it was very recently. You sign your name to this statement. I'm asking simply today. Do you believe that Justice Kavanaugh is, quote, intellectually and morally bankrupt? You signed your name to that proposition. Do you still believe it? Thank you for the question, Senator. As I stated, that was rhetorical advocacy only that I signed strictly in my personal capacity as a private citizen addressing my alma mater and throughout my legal career as a litigator, as an adjudicator, I have followed all of the court's precedents. It, it is disappointing that you refuse to justice. answer that question. It's a simple yes, no question. And three times you've refused to answer it. Thank you for your question, Senator. Wait a minute. She said today, as I stated, that was rhetorical advocacy, only that I signed strictly my person in my personal capacity as a private citizen. But when she signed the letter, she said Kavanaugh was an intellectually and morally bankrupt ideologue intent on rolling back the rights of our clients. So it wasn't just personal. It wasn't just your comments. She was not speaking strictly for herself. And by the way, I realize that there are Republican nominees who sometimes don't want to answer questions on potential cases that would come before them. I do not recall a Republican nominee in such a situation where they would need to explain away making such an unsubstantiated, slanderous statement as she made. She needs to be called on the carpet for this, and I think... Ted Cruz is not going to vote for her. Just a wild guess. We'll be right back. This is your Drive at Five, an ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. So last night, Ocasio Cortez made an appearance at the Met Gala in New York City. She wore a white dress with large letters painted on it. I don't know if it's painted or sewn on, whatever. Uh, Tax the Rich. Now, this is really interesting. So to go to this event, to get a single ticket is $30,000. To get a whole table is 275000 And she is one of the participates, participants in this, and yet she says tax the rich. So think about this. This is uh, tweeted by uh, Tim Pool. He said either AOC paid $30,000 to attend this event or she received a $30,000 gift. If it's the latter... And she pays her taxes, which she should. That would put her in the bracket of around 32 to 35 percent. So she needs to come up with a check for $9,600. If it costs $30,000 to get into the Met Gala and she was given a free ticket, how does that work with the FEC? Hmm. Hey, we got to run. We'll do it again tomorrow. We'll see you then. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right, all right.